So the idea is to talk about JavaScript today, and I guess the the spark for this topic was why I got enthusiastic about unpoly.js, which I guess is very little JavaScript, and that's the general reason for the excitement. Um, but maybe first a little bit about your uh, thoughts on JavaScript and how you approach using JavaScript because I'm, I know where I stand, but I don't know exactly where you stand. Are you all in on the new frameworks and all the, all the fancy good stuff? Do you NPM install things all the time? I do NPM install things, but not all the time. I found a couple of frame. I usually, I change the framework I use once a year when it's time to when I look at the JavaScript code I wrote a year ago, and I think it's absolutely horrid. Uh, maybe you have the same experience with old code. Uh, and then I uh, search through the internet uh, for a new, better JavaScript framework and a new, better way to write JavaScript. But the like... The last few years I found Mithril.js, which is very small, very nice. It does the same thing that React does, but smaller, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's a very nice uh, framework doing all the virtual DOM diffing and all stuff like that. Yeah. So. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Uh, and also lots of uh, JavaScript without any framework at all, except for perhaps Lodash. Okay, so some, some vanilla JS and some Lodash. Yeah, and then I... This is not the entire truth, though, uh, because I prefer to use as a very modern version of JavaScript, and I prefer to be able to use modules. I think that's a really important part of a modern programming language. Uh, so it always ends up with me looking at Webpack or any of the other bundlers and going, oh, geez, <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> so um, at the moment, I have settled for the one which I can't remember the name of. Uh, ah, that one. So, yeah, it's a very good one. Uh, it's package.js or something. Something yeah. like that. Let me see. Yeah, there's always a ton of bundlers. Uh, and I find that I tend to gravitate to Webpack uh, mostly by default because I work a lot with uh, Elixir and Phoenix, the Phoenix web framework. And it installs and sets up Webpack for you, which means I... I usually just use it because it's there. I'm not a super fan of the tooling overall. I've found Webpack impenetrable in at least three separate instances. So yeah, I, I intend to at some point just confront it and probably make a blog post about like breaking down what it actually does and just, just approaching it in a, in an open way and, where I actually focus on trying to get familiar with Webpack rather than uh, try to get stuff done and encounter Webpack as a hindrance along the way. Oh, so you're not going to replace it with a very small shell script? I have at different points in time, but <laughs> um, for uh, for the purposes of uh, which I started looking for Unpoly, because I, I did go on Twitter and start hassling people about hey, what, what JavaScript framework would you recommend for progressive enhancement? And progressive enhancement is one of those ideas that I think people have mostly given up on or that they find that while, while you need to progressively enhance depending on what capabilities the browser will have, JavaScript is not, the, is not something like... Doing it without JavaScript is usually not on the agenda. So, so people 
still seem to assume that you want JavaScript and need JavaScript. And I'm trying to build something currently that's that I want to work without JavaScript. And then I want to progressively enhance it. And I want to do it in a way that's like, I like vanilla JS, but it's not opinionated at all. <laughs> so setting up rules for for how you want to hook into JavaScript in a consistent way means that you're inventing a framework as you go. And I wanted I wanted to look for something that gave me that gave me an elegant way of of enhancing as I went. And when I looked around, the recommendations I think were Let's see, it was Alpine JS, and then it was oh, what was that one called? I have it somewhere around here. I'm sure. Stimulus. Yeah, stimulus. Yep. Um from the Basecamp people. And I think they're they are generally on the same page with me that things should work and uh, be progressively enhanced. And but I didn't like what I really saw from Stimulus or, or Alpine, really. Uh, both are, both do the kind of thing I want them to do. But I found Stimulus at a glance looked a bit messy. It could just be the code examples that were a bit messy. Um, and Alpine looked like it tried to do more than I wanted to. Also a little bit messy and unpoly for me it looked just about right because it does offer some of the what i recently heard uh is called pjax which i guess is progressive ijax but the the turbo link style thing where navigation can be javascriptified by just doing the normal navigation under the hood and rendering it with javascript so it can be a little bit quicker on the render and it doesn't need to do a page page reload, um, which can be jarring sometimes. Indeed. So Unpoly does a bunch of that stuff, including with forms, which is super relevant in my case. Uh, and it does seem to handle things like that I haven't really gotten to try yet, which is like modal dialogues and pop-up. <laughs> it says pop-up overlays and... It has some animation support and a bunch of that sort of tooling that I think reinventing a good way to to hook them those in can be uh, tiresome. But the whole library is like, I think it was 36K or something. Um, and it's just a single JavaScript file. So I don't really need NPM to bring it in. I might I might have Webpack and NPM on this project either way, but uh, I might also just rip them out and have a few uh, dependencies just brought in, maybe even committed to the repo. We'll see. That sounds really nice. So I found the the bundler, by the way. Oh yeah, it's called Parcel, parceljs.org, uh-huh. uh, and it just works, which is very nice. It doesn't need any configuration or at least very little configuration i think that's part of the webpack pitch as well but then you need to install all the additions and yeah uh, i don't want to bag entirely too much on webpack but it because it seems like they are trying to do some very sane defaults and trying to avoid being too config driven and doing all sorts of nice things for the user i'm just really really hesitant because i don't command the js ecosystem and build tools that well i don't use them day to day and i don't enjoy using them so i haven't really mastered the tooling and my experience with using js heavy projects with a lot of build tools and a lot of that sort of tooling like cordova and react native for example is that there are a lot of things that can break Yes, only moving parts. Yeah, there are so many moving parts and so much fragility that I I just don't generally want to bring that into my projects, even though 
I think for someone working with a lot of JavaScript, it's probably the right tools. It's the best tools we have at least. Um, yeah. But also things like, okay, so are we using Yarn or NPM or NPX for running our... Is there an NPX? Oh yeah, I think NPX is the the thing that always makes sure you have the latest of whatever. And wow. uh, it's it's a weird one. I've seen it a few times. I think it's out of Facebook, but I couldn't be sure. Interesting. And I think yarn was spun out. Yeah, this shows. I I don't keep track, but I keep hearing things. Um, <laughs> and I guess this is one of the challenges. Like I feel I feel feel like an old sour dude about JavaScript a lot of the time because I don't want to keep track of the JavaScript community. I didn't really choose to be a JavaScript developer. Yeah. I haven't chosen to be a JavaScript developer, but I did choose to be a web developer, which implicitly that like JavaScript is just just slides on in there. And I I I don't hate JavaScript. I don't mind working with it. Does it bring you joy? It doesn't really spark joy. It doesn't. <laughs> so you would throw it out if you could. Um or sometimes it does. I mean, just sitting there and writing some simple JavaScript can be can be fun and inter- it's definitely interactive and definitely like you can tell that you're doing things on the page. I find the visual parts of JavaScript really satisfying. Yeah. I and I've I've had a lot of fun building with JavaScript and whenever I'm playing with JavaScript or making something that's that's presentational or mostly for fun then i like javascript then i don't really mind that the language is weird and stuff but then i usually don't bring in a tool chain i don't need build tools for my scripted.js yeah speaking of which have you played the have you played elevator saga i have at some point i i did run through a few levels of it i think it's it was a very neat uh, game yeah, because that's only the playing part. You program elevators and, well, try to make a good rule system or, I don't know, a deep neural network or something to uh, get the elevators to run smoothly. Uh, so it's a puzzle game too. Yeah, it's it's a very cool game. I remember that I, I stopped uh, pushing it further when I started uh, coming up against the really like synthetic, um, measurements for success when it was like you should only use these many moves and that sort of thing i just wanted to optimize throughput <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think that's where it lost me but it's a it's a very cool game i really should i should actually uh, throw that at some of my mentorship students and <laughs> let them have a go <laughs> at it nice because that's that's a use case for javascript where javascript is kind of nice yeah, uh, as an inline language and other things, it can be very nice, especially when when those things are heavily evented. Yeah. And in that case, you're almost running entirely off of events, if I recall correctly. So. Yep, uh, you're writing uh, event handlers for elevators, basically. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do like when you can build something that's that doesn't require JavaScript. And that's, I, th- I think there's a very good case for the robustness of not requiring JavaScript. Yeah. It also means you're probably not screwing up accessibility by default, because if the thing works with just HTML and forms, accessibility is usually okay. Yeah. Uh, while when or, you're doing I don't know. JavaScript, I hope it is. <laughs> when you're doing JavaScript, uh, all bets are off. Yeah, you can absolutely do accessible JavaScript. It's just that it's then you need to pay attention. Suddenly, you need to do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, so, is that the reason for why you go the progressive enhancement route rather than the uh, single page application route? Or what's your what's? I want to circle back to that uh, that topic. Yeah, I think the idea that that your application or your site should work even if they manage to screw up 
JavaScript in web browsers in a few years, or then when they realize that, like, no, this API is too dangerous. We need to shut that one down. And if you rely on that, you'll probably you might end up with an error, or your site might not run. And also, I some of it's just that a lot of single page applications and a lot of application style websites are pretty crappy. <laughs> so yeah. It's a general like boil it down to basics and then build from there. Make sure your foundations are sound. Make sure your delivery is absolutely as instant as possible and then then put sparkles on it. So that's the general idea. I want to deliver my page quickly, preferably statically rendered, and I want to add things um, with uh, with the with the fancy JavaScript and the fancy stuff, I don't want it to be required. For example, and I think where this often falls down for people is when they encounter something like file uploads, which are which can be tricky to manage. For example, if you want to handle multiple file uploads without JavaScript, there's a lot of buttons and there's a lot of weird state, and maybe you might need an iframe probably not but it's there's a lot of challenges around file uploads to do it gracefully and if you can just concede and use a javascript file upload library you will have a much easier time with some of that it just struck me i have never never done file uploads with javascript so why would you want to do that (laughs) If you think of like wanting to drag and drop a whole selection of images. Ah, that's a good point. So multiple files at the same time, for example. Because I think I can drag and drop one file regardless. Yeah, into into a file upload box, you can definitely drag one file. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, but I think I can. And there there are a bunch of things you can do to to manage more of them. But generally, handling file uploads and handling the UX and experience for file uploads is so much nicer with JavaScript generally. Yeah. Uh, because you can show the thumbnail and you can all do all the sorts of fun stuff. Hmm. But I want to... <laughs> it's not like I don't, I don't want to be counter uh, to, the, to the rest of the world. And I don't really, I don't really want to step on... Uh, all of the work that's being done with JavaScript. I just want to see if we can make things reliable first, fast first, and then pack in our our cool stuff. And I only want to pack in the cool stuff to the extent it's necessary. Yeah. So I've been uh, I've been toying around. I recently released a blog post about making a lot of kinds of ui selections without javascript because you can do them with for example radio buttons checkboxes and uh, css well can you do, can you explain can you give me an example yeah let's say you have an editor uh, a text editor where you have the option to either show a markdown editor which just is just a text area Yep. Or you want to be able to show like a content editable uh, visual editor, okay. which of course will be JavaScript driven because you can't actually do Visivig properly without JavaScript at this point. We're not there yet. Yeah. But uh, you might have radio buttons for selecting what kind of uh, format you want to work with. And if you click uh, the the markdown radio button you can have css that uses the checked pseudo selector plus a sibling operator to say okay the sibling of this element should be visible wow which means i imagine this is also hopefully faster because it just toggles css classes uh, or rather just pseudo selectors which which should be fairly deep in, in the browser stack. So you don't yeah. actually have to run any JavaScript. It will just it will just toggle the visibility because but usually that's something you would use JavaScript for um, 
or it's very common to do. Yeah. Huh, that's a really nice use case. Yeah, and it also, interestingly, usually you want a form input or something to indicate whether you are using markdown or rich text, for example. And now you do, because the radio button is still a radio button and you still selected something, so. Good point, that's very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you can do similar things with checkboxes, for example, if you want to open up um, like a cascade, a small, if you have a long list and you want to hide it, you can have, uh, have a checkbox and you can always restyle a checkbox if you don't like the styling. Um, so if you click the checkbox, it's checked and then you expand it and then you expand the sibling and show all the like advanced options, for example. Yeah, nice. No JavaScript required. What are all, is this supported by all the browsers? As far as I know, this, uh, I've tested it in a few different ones um, and not every one of them, but everything's Chrome now, right? <laughs> um, no, I tested it in Firefox. I tested it in Chrome. I don't recall if I tested it in Safari, but MDN says that the operator is supported all across. So cool. And I, I tend to trust that site. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's a neat little trick and it doesn't solve everything. And you, there are definitely cases where JavaScript makes sense. Yeah. There are some, some use cases for a fat client. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think when, whenever you're approaching something that more and more looks like a client application software, you can absolutely consider heavier JavaScript frameworks. Yeah. Um, what I like about Unpoly is that it very gracefully builds on top of like my statics, statically generated views uh, inside of my, my application and gives most of the feeling of a snappy, more modern type of application. And I can extend and I can, it has what it calls compilers, which is a way of checking like, okay, we brought in this markup and started ren and rendered this new markup. Do we need to attach any JavaScript behaviors to that? Ah, so you can hook behaviors into your uh, code by, into your HTML code by maybe giving it data attributes or something? Uh, yes, you can do it via data attributes, but in the case of these compilers, that's, that's mostly a definition like, okay, if you see a, dot editor uh, so a css class editor yeah um that we haven't done this for just um, call this call back and let me like maybe add event listeners or whatever i need to do okay uh, so it, it just gives you a way to hook in that will be fairly consistent when you're when you're doing things like dynamically updating the page and such so that's that's important stuff it's quite possible that on poly the unpoly feature set is matched by, for example, Turbo Links. I haven't looked into Turbo Links. I've only heard about it. I haven't looked into yeah. it either. So. It's apparently not Ruby only, even though it spawns from from Ruby Land. I think. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, another thing I've been mulling over is whether you can do live, uh, like show live information to the user without using JavaScript. Wow. Well, how? <laughs> My best candidate right now is video. Okay. So there are two, two ideas here. Um, and one is just show a video that only sends a frame whenever there's, whenever there's a change. So live <laughs> video. <laughs> <laughs> and th this is both terrible and and very pleasing i i find it i find it a nice hack uh and i think it would be a cool trick for things like okay you saved your work now we will publish it or now we will run ci on it or whatever so there's a background process going on yeah and you just need to know like an indicator of how's it going like okay we have a small green light or a small red light or small 
like we are working on it sort of animation yeah uh, and it updates whenever that changes and there are a, there's a very simple kind of uh, video that's called mjpeg which is just you send a new jpeg as frames okay so then you can just crunch down a jpeg fairly to whatever you you want it to be and or ship a big but but small in dimensions jpeg and get a fairly high fidelity thing or you can ship proper live video uh, and just make sure that you send uh, frames as often as required to keep the thing alive but no more than necessary so i haven't looked into how how variable a variable frame rate is allowed to be like is five minutes okay (laughs) Uh, because that's that's what i would ideally want to do but this has of course uh, accessibility implications it does but there's a standard for uh, there's a standard for um, captions live captions oh and these are like css styleable text displays which i i assume will be quite accessibility friendly uh, because they are an accessibility tool first and foremost yeah so these were launched i think they were launched by apple much like the live streaming stuff we tend to build on on the web these days was uh, was generally apple it came from Apple platforms. Yeah. I think it's HLS, so HTTP live streaming. And uh, so there's caption support there. And my thinking going further is that maybe you can skip the entire video mostly and just send maybe uh, one pixel or something. And you just send the caption. <laughs> <laughs> And then you have live text streaming, single direction. <laughs> so you could implement, for instance, a chat using this. Yeah. I wonder if there's... Mm, I don't think you could use the CSS to trigger some kind of interactivity. Hmm. I'd have to look at that. <laughs> I don't think you can send links <laughs> in the captions, but I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> uh, yeah so so that's something i would want to play with but it's <laughs> there's a bit of a, a like uh, there's a bit of an uphill thing just getting started with sending highly controlled amounts of video yeah yeah step one is to build a server i, I think i know yeah i think i know what kind of tools i could use for this there's a decent elixir or a very promising Elixir framework for media management that's called Membrane. Yeah. I think would be appropriate for this, especially for like sending a single JPEG as a part of an MJPEG stream. I'm not sure if they have caption support and I'm not sure where, where, they are, where they are at with all the different things. It's also quite possible that I could do all of this with, with FFmpeg and just need to look for the right examples. I think you can do absolutely everything with FFmpeg. Yeah. But it's almost impossible to know how to combine all the arguments to get what you want. Yeah, especially especially if it's like, yeah, I would like to have this happen on a webhook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but so that's some of this is just like these types of live updates is mostly for the stunt yeah this is mostly a fun challenge an interesting technical challenge and uh, some interesting abuse of what what web apis do we actually have and a little bit of my frustration that a lot of newer web apis do require javascript yeah to to do anything with i don't think you can do anything interesting with webrtc without javascript for example that's a good point. I wonder what you could hmm I wonder if it's if it's inherent to the problem domain that you need a uh, programming language for it or if it should be if more things should be available just from HTML. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um 
there are definitely things that don't make sense without javascript like uh web usb or web bluetooth yeah uh, you really need to, those are low level uh, integrations um and you you do need to program on top of them yeah definitely and for webrtc that's that's in that ballpark as well um yeah but on the other hand it would be absolutely lovely to have a standard for uh, being able to upload many files uh, so that so you could have that in html instead of uh, the javascript part yeah i think you can like if you if you add multiple file fields it's possible that a multiple file upload um upload element actually just works fine but usually you want to do you, you usually want to do some fairly granular things with each file so hmm. yeah i think it it tends to get complicated um, yeah, it's possible that it that it works just fine, and you would just receive them as parameters. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I think multiple file uploads are actually working for for like HTML, but yeah, with there's so much UI generally that you want to manage with file uploads. Yeah. Another disappointing thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dates and date times. Most browsers don't implement, or I, I dare say, um, there's very little consistency in using like input date or input date time, those fields. There is. I haven't really used them. I'm too old school, I think. It's like they, they fall back to a text input if uh, the browser doesn't do anything special with it. And I yeah. think it's Firefox that doesn't have like any kind of date picker uh, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of inconsistencies around the date pickers and and trying to do that nicely without javascript is is currently painful and i don't see how i could hack that with css honestly because <laughs> to, at some point you need to rent like generate yourself a calendar that's yes. that's aware of how long a month is and <laughs> what the day it is and, yeah you could do that on the back end because but then the whole the whole idea of a static site goes away yeah i mean if it's a sufficiently dynamic view i guess you can do it uh, because static site like or server side generation it doesn't need to be static that can be fairly dynamic that's true but still or you could re-render it once a day yeah but then time zones so then you need a <laughs> one site per time zone. No, but but listen, if you if you can make it a video, <laughs> <laughs> and you put an image map on top of it. Oh, image map. So you can detect if you're what part of the video you're clicking. Uh, but. But see, sending the clicks through to the server and they need to figure out if, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of state to manage there. I'm not convinced there would be a good solution. No, image maps are just links, right? <laughs> yeah, but you can do a lot with links. Yeah, so you could... No, this is becoming way too silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me nostalgic, though. I haven't heard about anyone using image maps for many, many, many years. I think there was a there was a hack recently that where they used an image map for a thing. I think it was for Slack, and this is also one of my don't use JavaScript everywhere, please things. Um, <laughs> like the Slack application recently had a security vulnerability reported. I saw it on Hack News. Yeah, and it was it was based on uh, link previews, I think. Oh, link, mm, yeah. So there was some finely crafted stuff that made Slack render a harmful link preview. And if anyone clicked it, it could break out of the Node.js sandbox and do uh remote arbitrary code executions inside nice inside electron or that's that's what i understood from it I, 
I didn't dive deeper, but it, I just felt like, yeah, yeah. See, this is why we don't want web everywhere. <laughs> when, when the web has the potential to gain access to your local device, all bets are off. <laughs> yeah, there's a similar bug. I hope it's patched, but it's not patched on all devices uh, regarding MMS on uh, cell phones. Ouch. So uh, you can basically send the code you want to run. Uh, there are some, some uh, interesting details around it. Uh, I can find it somewhere on the internet probably. But then uh, if you send the right code, you can pwn the Android phone. Uh, and it's yours now. Uh, so that's, that's Yeah, bad. that's inconvenient. I mean, the operators can, can already run arbitrary code on your phone, which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Part, part of how phones work, apparently. <laughs> yes. Um, not too i'm not too enthusiastic about that yeah uh, phones man that they even work yeah, yeah. uh complete aside <laughs> have you looked at the pine phone at all i did if we're, if we're gonna be weird curmudgeonly or i'm i'm being the curmudgeon it's like it feels like you should be a better curmudgeon than me but i'm i'm ranting about javascript right now i haven't warmed up yet so i'm i'm mostly happy no, that's that's good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, the Pine Phone seems like it's mostly appealing to people that really, really like Linux. Yeah, and I I do really like Linux, but I don't really, really, really like Linux. I I find, for example, Arch to maybe maybe a bit too bleeding edge for my for my day to day. Ah, uh, yeah, Arch stops being bleeding edge after after a year or something, because then you have all the setup you need. And then you can just just uh, keep rolling and keep installing the rolling updates and they generally keep working. Okay, yeah, my, my experience of the Arch- With one exception, of course. Rolling updates was that I tried it in the middle of like the shift from, did they shift to system D? I think they did. They did? Uh, maybe seven or eight years ago or something, maybe more. That sounds about right. Uh, but I I had an Arch installation and, and a Windows installation in parallel. And I was like, no, let's let's go back to the Arch one. I, I want to do some Linux. Let's, let's live on Linux for a bit. And then I ran all the update commands because I figured I was out of date. And then nothing worked because I didn't read the news. And then I read a... Like, <laughs> A large number of forum posts telling me that uh, everyone that doesn't read the news is a moron. So I wasn't very keen on on trying to resolve my issue. Um, yeah, I ended up I ended up fixing all the this won't start issues, but for some reason my GDM never recovered. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it was just sad. Yeah, <laughs> it's I. I think I read the news. But Pine Phones, though. Pine Phones, yeah. Uh, so you can run Arch on your phone. That's very nice. Or several other Linux variants. Yeah. Uh, and the Pine Phone has the lovely dip switches in the back. So you can turn off things when you don't want them. And hopefully the dip switches are connected to real electricity and not just to some software drive-by-wire yeah. thing. Yeah, I think that's the idea. And I really I really like that concept. I haven't I haven't looked into whether a Pine phone is is like a decent enough phone on its own. I I like the general idea and ethos of it. Yeah. But I also really want a decent working phone. It's Needed. Have you tried it? I haven't tried the Pine Phone. It's. Uh, I I got news of it just a couple of weeks ago, and I have a working phone. So. Uh, yeah, it's always inconvenient when your phone keeps working when you want to buy something new. Yeah, 
On the other hand, the Pine phone is one of those phones that you could buy and have as an extra. Maybe you shouldn't have it as a primary phone until you know that it works. Yeah, exactly. Have it as a lab phone. <laughs> yeah. I've been considering getting a new a new like travel or I'm on a vacation or I'm off skiing phone where where you generally don't want your smartphone getting too moist or you really want some battery life. Yeah. Um I had a Sony Ericsson some kind of IP IP class uh, dumb phone once. Uh, it had some horrible bugs, but was also amazing in in that it lasted for two weeks on, on a single charge. <laughs> was it the shark phone? No, this was this was uh, during the mo- modern smartphone era. But it's okay. Uh, now I think Caterpillar is probably or Cat is are probably the ones doing the most like rugged phones, but I don't think they do dumb phones. But uh, Nokia has uh, re-released a bunch of classics and like reimagined them. Wow! And I was looking into what they were what they were about, and unfortunately, they're trying to do semi-smartphone. I would prefer it if it was either either entirely dumb or uh, built on android but for a keypad yeah so lightweight android would be my ideal because then you could get all like banking apps and stuff yeah totally but these are these are built on kios are you familiar with that haven't heard of it what is it that's uh, firefox os Wow, wasn't that after it was forked and uh, continued? Yeah. So it's it's used a lot by an Indian telco provider called Geo. That's hilarious that someone just picked it up and start using it. Yeah, it, it was forked uh, some way back, and and they've had good success with like low level or basically cheap phones. Yeah. Um, and so you build web apps for them. Huh. And there are some basic like Facebook and like I don't know if there was a WhatsApp. Yeah, there it it gets very particular about like what apps do we actually need to port to this. So yeah. so app support is low, um, but it's an interesting enough platform, I guess. Does this mean that you program in JavaScript on these phones? <laughs> you you would, yes. So we get back to JavaScript? <laughs> Full circle, bam! Yeah, and oh, this, yeah. this was also a thing that was like, mm, this is not my ideal. I, I really do want a, like a slim, low-resource phone. But also, I don't think JavaScript and web tech is the best stack to build your apps on. It's okay. Mm. I guess it'll be fine, but I don't want JavaScript to eat the world. I want JavaScript to be good at what it does. Um, it's fine that some people want to use it for backend stuff, and it's fine to use here and there. Who? But I don't think, I don't think it's entirely an advantageous to use it throughout. So that's when I get happy when I find some uh, things that that seem to be in line w- mostly with my philosophy, which I find unpoly. Uh, seems to align with with what i think uh, like a javascript framework should provide or should provide from uh, specifically this use case and generally uh, probably uh, my preference but it, it definitely it definitely ticks a lot of boxes for for what i want in most cases when i just want javascript for for the spice and the enhancement and the glitter yeah definitely and then there are, of course, situations where it's like, yeah, this could be built in whatever, and I will build it in whatever, and I'll try some new framework with it. Or I know this will be high on interactivity, and there will be a separate front-end team, and they will need to be able to organize themselves in a way that makes sense to them. So then maybe a heavier JavaScript framework is the right call. I'm a bit I'm a bit hesitant to go there quickly. But then all bets are off anyway, because then you need a front-end team yeah, uh, and a back-end team. And if you want to build something alone, maybe you shouldn't use the tools that 
Facebook and Google uses because they have front-end teams and back-end teams. Yeah. While you do Yeah, not. I think that's that's a challenge with the React that I don't think... I, I think it's been di- discussed a lot. So I don't think it's like, oh, yeah. we di- totally discovered this. But uh, I think it's also continuously getting glossed over. I've, I've heard people that are uh, deeply in the JavaScript uh, ecosystem, but not fans of React say that it's like, yeah, first you install React and then you need React Router and you need these packages and these packages and these packages. And then like either you use all of these packages to build a frame, a big framework out of the small React core or you need to invent these things. Wow. So in the end, even though React is like nice and small and doesn't actually do too much, it's, it's a fairly tightly scoped library in itself, as far as I understand. I haven't spent a lot of time with React. Apparently, it tends to need a lot of extra things anyway. And those things need to work well with, with React. So in the end, you end up with something bigger anyway. Yeah, and that mental effort to look through the ecosystem or to find the right packages because generally there are there are packages that are like these are the mainstream packages you should use but it takes some time to find them and maybe they aren't really good for your use case so you want to use the alternative package and maybe that package hasn't been maintained for a couple of years uh, and you need to use a fork yeah uh, or yeah i i spent so a lot of time uh, maintaining an angular one app at a certain point wow like uh, one series because angular yeah totally totally reworked their stuff for two plus um and then we had a lot of that that sort of issue where like, okay, we can't move this package forward without breaking this, and we can't do this because of this, and da, 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 da. So again, with the, like, trying to keep things simple for when I need a date picker, and I do need a date picker because I think it's a terrible experience to try to, like, don't force non-technical users to enter an ESO 8601 daytime string just because that's the that's the only good representation you can actually consistently interpret um no of course don't do that we will now show you a tutorial video Um, but the day then you want a daytime picker and i think last time i ended up using flat picker yeah because it is a zero dependency daytime picker lovely yeah I don't want jQuery, though I I wouldn't complain too much about jQuery at this point, because if anything, that's that's not an opinionated framework. It's just a neat little tool, but I don't feel like it's necessary anymore. I think it's mostly outlived its, its purpose. Yeah, which is a very good thing. The web browsers have shaped up a lot during the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah, since jQuery. Uh, yeah, jQuery was amazing yeah. when it came because it paved over so much trouble. Yeah, you could just use JavaScript became good yeah. suddenly. And so there, it's not a mystery that a lot of things were like, yeah, this only requires jQuery or or uh, this this provides like a date picker or a text editor or something, and it's and it's jQuery based. Yeah, uh, that that was a fair assumption at a certain point. It wasn't ideal, but it made sense. And because you used jQuery for everything, it was kind of nice because you just it was a, a zero cost dependency in that by that. Um, yeah, when it came to that, because you already yeah. used it. And now it's uh, mostly a pointless dependency because all the, all of the like query selector tooling and stuff in browsers actually work yeah and seems to be consistent enough at the very least yep so yeah but finding these dependencies that are like a reliable zero dependency solution to a simple problem 
or or in the case of like a daytime picker the problem is a surprisingly challenging and might have uh, might have yeah. a few requirements i don't think this one requires moment.js but i think it would be fair for it to pull in uh, moment.js because <laughs> time is hard and as long as it doesn't pull in all of moment.js because that's a lot um but it's but it's very well scoped like this is a date time picker it's not a ui library <laughs> <laughs> it's not a full on uh, we're a date time picker we're a file uploader where i don't want any of that and i also don't want <laughs> the situation that i definitely had with angular 1 where it was like okay we want a date time picker so this daytime picker looks good. Has anyone made an Angular library for it? Oh, couldn't you use just plain JavaScript daytime pickers? Did you need an Angular? I mean, you could. You just have to correctly integrate them into the into the Angular like um, digest loop or whatever it was called, where if you're changing one of the if you want to change database in angular and have it reflected live as angular should yeah with the two-way bindings and stuff uh, you would have to make it make it do some of the angular things and that that could sometimes be a bit of a deep hole it was it was totally doable but you ended up looking for can I just plug this in? Because that was more convenient. Then you just got a yeah. directive and suddenly you had one of these components, I guess they call them these days, Yeah, um, that was reusable and you could just shove it in wherever you needed it. Okay, wow. Yeah. I have played some with Vue.js. Have you done that? Uh, some, not that much. What's your experience? I did find it a nice framework and a nice experience and mostly very, very useful. It's like, I, I get the, let's see, I get the whole philosophy and, and the general idea of these, like, uh, for example, Vuex and Redux and all the, the state management stuff is very cool, especially when you get the whole time travel idea. Um, yeah like event sourcing in, in the small term for a user session is very neat. Um, it has some complexities, but it's also a way to, to structure things to, to avoid chaos, which chaos can happen very, very easily in a single page application. Yeah, because you suddenly have state. It's very, very easy to accidentally cause a chaotic uh, application structure. If you if you just let anything manage data anywhere, so I think Vue and the um, the management system it has and the the component structure, all of it sort of makes sense to me. So I think I, I'd probably be fine with React as well. I think Vue looks a little bit nicer and cleaner from from a very outside view. I haven't worked with React. I have only looked at it. Uh, and I, there's a thing in, in view, which is like single file components where you write your template, you write your, uh, script, script stuff, your code, which defines your interactivity. And then you also write your CSS uh -huh. and those are tightly scoped so that like the, the script only runs for when this component is used. And the CSS will only apply to the stuff in this component, which means to some extent that allows you to only reason about the component while inside the component. That's very nice. Yeah, that's, it's a nice structure for some things. And I also found it quite challenging to work with for, for some like nested components and, um, whenever you need to like uh, hoist events up the tree and that sort of thing. I am sure there are plenty of solutions to that that I haven't dove into because I haven't spent that much time with it. I know there's 
React got portals <laughs> at some point. And I think that's part of, of that sort of thing. It's like, I need this data here, but it doesn't really belong here normally. So yeah, I, I know that, that the communities around those frameworks are definitely working on those, some of those sharp edges and trying to find good solutions. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a lot. I mean, for most UI work, for most simple web applications, for most websites in particular, I don't think you need that level of a framework. No, it's when it becomes huge. Uh, and I'm, I don't know why, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the single page application thing. I don't really see the use for it. Uh, maybe I should, but I don't. Uh, I'm way more comfortable with having a page reload when I click a, ring, a link. It does feel a bit more reliable. And I think part of it might be that you and me were trained to use the web before <laughs> before JavaScript was capable of doing anything like that. Yeah. Uh, when DHTML was the sweet stuff and before we got Ajax. And image maps and iframes and ActiveX. Those were the times. Oh, you're saying iframes. I'm saying frames. Frames, yes. You didn't have to reload the menu. That was good stuff. You could just leave it there. Yeah. And you didn't have to add the menu to all pages. <laughs> exactly. So when you were hand crafting your, your website in Notepad, you didn't have to copy the menu to every single page. That was fantastic. Frames were so good. Ah. And honestly, they saved on yeah. load times and stuff. It, it mattered when you, ha you were on a modem. <laughs> it did. Especially if your menu had images in it. And you could put your, yeah. Like like the um, bullet points. Oh yeah, small gems or something. Yeah, yeah rotating <laughs> skulls. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's definitely the stuff. Yeah, I'm all for rotating skulls. I like that there's a small trend of going back towards these like personal, more quirky websites. Yeah, it makes me really happy. I don't think it will like go big because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any like commercial sense. I think indeed. Well, and an interesting thing is that one of the sites that people like and reference as something to, to look at for this type of inspiration is Stripe. It is what? Yes. Because go look at the Stripe website. I'm gonna do that now. It's not that it's like quirky unpolished rotating skulls or anything um, but they do a lot of work with like small animations and i think they've maybe tuned it over to in a sense in a way that i find a little bit more boring but um i like the rotating globe it's very nice yeah but they have a lot of small icons with animation on them and it's like the, the site is lively and very handcrafted, like very deeply crafted. Yeah. It's not just a very clean site. It is a clean site, but it's a clean site where there was a lot of aesthetic and design intent to what's going on. And yeah, uh, there, there was a site that I think exemplifies the more individual quirky site. Well, cassie.codes, so C-A-S-S-I-E.codes. C-A-S-S-I-E.codes. Yeah. So the, it's like the little text logo type animates in 
Um, it's nice. Yeah, you can turn the light on and off by either clicking the lamp or the sun and moon switch up in the corner. Wow. If you go down towards the bottom, there's an SVG of the, or there's a cartoon, Cassie, that will yep. follow your mouse pointer. Lovely. And actually, like, and has idle animations and stuff. And if you if you just uh, twirl your mouse over her face too much, she gets dizzy. This is amazing. That kind of personality is very interesting. I also think that this coincides sort of with the trend that people aren't super happy about like social media and the big platforms and are starting to, some people are definitely starting to regroup in smaller, smaller groups all over these millions of um, messaging platforms. Yeah. Uh, so like, okay, you have some telegram and you have some messenger and so have some WhatsApp, you have some of this and you have some of that, but people are grouping up in smaller groups. And similarly, uh, I think web rings have come back into existence. I wouldn't say popularity, but it's like a retro, retro trend thing. So I actually spun up a web ring for beam blogging, like things around Elixir and Erlang. Yeah, I saw it on your site. It made me happy. Yeah, it's, it needs more, it needs more uh, design work and like visuals because it should be more fun. But it's, it's fun and people, people seem to appreciate that it just exists. People are definitely adding, I'm getting pull requests every few days to get, to add some new blog that's nice that's nice it doesn't i don't think it will ever drive a lot of traffic and i don't think it will ever be a big thing and i don't really care i just it's like i i blog about this and i think it's nice if we can bunch together a bunch of the people doing it because being on twitter being on forums all of those can be a bit much yep and it's we don't have the possibility to have conversations on the web ring, but we can definitely at least feel <laughs> feel like we are doing a common thing to some extent, which we are. I mean, it's a lot of an, a bunch of enthusiasts that are writing blog posts about about something they're all excited about, and it's it's fun to try to bring that together. And then I have a few ideas about what I could do with with that list based on based on what people think would be neat um like maybe aggregate some of the rss stuff so or at least um, expose like the rss feeds on the beam blogger site so that people can subscribe to them properly and that sort of thing yeah and well you could always i was thinking on the on the comment part and the discussion part you could, if you see a blog post that really, really hits it home with you and you want to comment on that, you can write your own blog post and put a link to the first blog post yeah. in it and comment on it in that way. That's it's kind of what uh, researchers in academia do. It's twofold, the reference system or citing system. Yeah, I think I think this is also very close to video responses on YouTube. Yeah, reaction videos. Yeah, yeah, like oh, 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 I I totally have opinions about this. Uh, I don't I don't think meta blogging about other people's blogging is is that much of a an appreciated sport, but it might be worth worth doing something with. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Maybe it's not socially acceptable at this moment. Hmm. <laughs> More research needed. Yeah. Please send grants. Yeah. So have you been up to anything that you want to wanna give a little bit of a shout out about or rant about for, for a few minutes? I'm mostly doing... My energy is spent on uh, work where I do Python 2 to 3 migration while the whole code base keeps moving <laughs> so that's fun uh <laughs> and uh 
yeah, that's about how much I will say about that. Uh, and at all other times, I have uh, I mostly just play Factorio or Slay the Spire, uh, or uh, I uh, try to do some gardening on my uh, balcony. Uh, and that's my life right now, and it's that's what I have energy for. And it's all right. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. So, And also, Factorio, the latest version, which is 1.0, it has the awesome Spider-Tron, which is a robotic thing with lots of legs oh yeah i i haven't i haven't played it since they released the 1.0 but i saw that it, that's this like autonomous robot thing right yeah and you can also sit in it and walk around with it and it just obliterates the biters and uh, the other nasty aliens and it's amazing uh, so yeah. that has been fun. Yeah, I was in a conversation with a friend recently about using Factorio for training purposes. For training what? Uh, not for like building or defeating aliens, but specifically for uh, developers. Because I think it's one of the few ways I know that where you can give people a very concrete idea about like pools and workers and uh, like request flows and what it means when the world actually is built up out of queues because almost everything is in computing at least in networked computing yeah uh, there's buffer buffering in queues everywhere and factorio really really illustrates what it means to keep things flowing and scaling and distributed systems that sort of thing yeah Totally. Also, teamwork. <laughs> it's very good for training teamwork, I think. Yep. Uh, one of the more dangerous aspects of Factorio is that it feels like work uh, in a very good way. So. Yeah, it feels like being productive. Yeah. I, I know people that absolutely despise playing games that feel like tech work because that's what they do all day. But I'm not that... I don't want to do it all the time, but generally I enjoy scratching my brain in that particular way. So I think I found the right career for me. <laughs> Same here. Uh, and it's fun work. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, really, really like resource extraction. <laughs> Not in the real world, but... Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's when I play Factorio single player, it's only me. I don't have to look at some legacy code and go, what on earth were they thinking? You can just go, I will pave it all over. Yes, I will now. Robots, cover. disassemble this junk. <laughs> yes, cover it with concrete and build a nuclear reactor here. Yeah, that's. Uh, you rarely get to do that at work. I <laughs> think I'm lucky that I don't have to build nuclear reactors. Disassemble this front-end code. We shall have a nuclear reactor instead. <laughs> Watch that pretty... Oh, what's the name of that one? It's a glow. It's a blue glow. You get it when alpha particles hit water. They're too science for me now. It's pretty. 